Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello once again and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. This as advertised or is threatened maybe is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. Just happy to be with you, always excited to share ideas, share thoughts, share history. And boy, I tell you, we have one of the best guests that I could have ever had today. And this is being taped actually on the 7th of November. So there's a lot we do not know about the elections that we will know by the time the broadcast date, but it is not an accident that this is being broadcast on the day after Thanksgiving, my favorite day of the year. We're so much, have so much to be thankful for, but one of the things I am truly thankful for is people like our guest today, Dr. Joellen Chatham, that's C-H-A-T-H-A-M, that uh, Dr. Joellen and I have been political friends for quite a while, but uh, she goes really deeply. And I can tell you that, that she flattered me as much as I've ever had any gratification in my life, particularly, because with two partners, and we've done this before on All Rise, and you know that I've written a musical, and it's called All, it's called, excuse me, Convention, The Birth of America, and it's about the 1787 Constitutional Convention. And we've actually recorded the, the songs on a CD, and Joellen was talking to me about this, and she was interested, so I gave her a copy of the CD, and she got back to me few weeks later and said, well, I've shared this with a, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, and uh, that's uh, Bijan, uh, and, and they have decided that they would like to have a podcast. And there's 17 songs in our convention musical. We'd like to have 17 one-hour shows, each one centering around one of the songs. And so we will actually talk about set the scene for the Constitutional Convention. Who are the delegates? How did they get elected or, or directed to go, uh, what were the issues, all that sort of thing. And so we're starting to do that. It's just really exciting. And Dr. Joe Allen, thank you for that insight. And uh, let me just, we have been friends for a long time, but before we get into convention or politics or, or other things, just tell us a little bit, update us about your background. Uh, how did you become, for example, the director of the Center for Public Policy, Citizenship and Ethics at Concordia University? And, and what was the what, what a little of your background, including your family and uh, where you were raised. Well, Jim, it's really a delight um, and an honor to be on your show. Um, I've admired, thank you. You know your positions and your work for many, many years, and I'm I'm honored that we are friends. Um, my background is uh, I studied political science. I got interested in high school, and I made that my uh, degrees at the University of Southern California and at Cal State Northridge. And I taught for 10 years teaching political science, and then I used a lot of those uh, that knowledge and skills to be a public affairs director for Southern California Edison for 20 years. And when I retired, um, I learned that the Center for Public Policy at Concordia University, the founder who had founded the center just a few years earlier, um, was leaving. Uh, he was running for public office, in fact. And I happened to be seeing a good friend at Concordia, and he said, would you be interested in taking this over? And I said, yes. Huh. 
Um, it's the kind of a part-time thing that we're doing, but um, we've changed the focus. Originally, it was on public policy issues in general, such as transportation and water rights and so on. Um, but I changed the direction and the name. It's now the Center for Public Policy, Citizenship, and Ethics, because there is such a low level of civic literacy in the United States and um, no one in the region is focusing on that. They're focusing on a lot of other important issues. University of California has a Center for the Study of Democracy. But um, that is a more theoretical and broad scope. I wanted to focus on the Constitution, but not just the Constitution, but how citizens should act, react with each other, so we changed the focus to that degree, and this project that you and Bijan Kian and I are embarking on um, is a part of that, uh, to introduce people to the Constitution. Uh, Jim, as you know, last year, the Center for um, the Woodrow Wilson Foundation did a survey of all 50 states, approximately 50,000 people, using the questions that are on the citizenship test. Now, those questions are important because if you apply to be a citizen in the United States, you have to pass that test. So the Woodrow Wilson Foundation used some of those questions, surveyed over 50,000 people, and found that a majority of people in only one state could pass that test, and that wow. was Vermont. And that wasn't anything new. We've known this for a number of years, study after study after study show that the American people are ignorant of their own government and how it works. So our effort, which includes Becoming America, the series we're doing with you, is just a part of that effort to help Americans understand their Constitution. But we also know that if it's really boring and dry, it turns people off. And the beauty of your musical convention, it's got these great, lively, upbeat songs that are full of history, but it's fun. And that's why we thought if we would open it with each one with one of these great songs, and then the discussion following uh, is about the content of those songs. So it's not a here's Article 1, here's Article 2, here's okay. Article 3 of the Constitution. It kind of mixes it up. But what we think is not only interesting and educational, hopefully inspiring, but also entertaining. Well, um, I can tell you that anyone would, and thank you for that deeply, anyone who would like to listen to the music, it's on my website. You can go to judgejimgray.com, Gray is of course G-R-A-Y, and click on convention, and you can hear all 17 songs if you wish. But it is fun. We've only taped the overture so far, but we're off to a good start. Uh, Bijan is is uh, certainly an interesting guy, and and we he's 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 stalwart, and and we're different. We have different perspectives, so we call it Joellen, the judge, the doctor, and the American. Uh, why? It's pretty obvious, you know. I'm the judge, you're the doctor, and of course he's the American. We're all Americans, but how did we end up calling? Because it's perfect. How did we end up calling Bijan the American? What was that story? Well, Bijan is an immigrant. Um, he's, he's from Iran. He left uh, as a young man to study in England, but of course his family and his history was in Iran. And when the revolution occurred, so many Iranians left. They went to France, they went to Australia, England. Many of them came to America. They've been 
extremely successful because they're uneducated, hardworking, committed people. And Bijan was one of them. He ended up working for Governor Wilson a number of years ago, heading a department in the in California government. He was appointed by President Bush too to be one of five directors of the U.S. Export-Import Bank, which, by the way, reports directly to the president. And he was uh, reappointed by President Obama and um, confirmed twice by the United States Senate. But Bijan has a love of this country, like so many of our immigrants do. I was sitting um, in New York with Bijan and his wife, Gisu, who's my dear friend, and Bijan said, uh, Joe, let me tell you about the other woman in my life. And my eyes got kind of big. And, uh, and he pointed, you know, into the air, into the, you know, just kind of off into nowhere and said, the other woman in my life is that lady, that lady standing in the harbor, referring to the Statue of Liberty. And so many immigrants appreciate this country more often than we do. Because they have lived through war, they've lived through tyranny, they've lived through oppression, um, and they realize the opportunities that are in this country. And so Bijan and his wife, his family, and I were almost like family, and we hit on this idea to use your songs. But there's an underlying theme to this production that we're doing, and that is, and it's very important for the times we're going through. Bijan said to me one night, and it, it just struck home, he said, you know, America is the perfect idea, but the United States is the work in progress. And if you really think that through, it is so profound, because what our founding fathers gave us in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, is something no other people in the world had ever had. A lot of it is aspirational. But it's also practical because the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are how we govern ourselves. But the statements in the preamble about we the people, um, the content of the Declaration of Independence, we are created equal in the sight of God and so on, um, we need to continue to aspire to that. And as a, as a nation, we are becoming better. We started with slavery. Slavery is not only gone, but we have the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that ended slavery, gave the former slaves the right to vote, to be citizens, and created the Equal Protection Laws. Originally, um, the Constitution didn't prevent anybody from voting, but most of the states said, well, women couldn't vote. Well, eventually, we changed that. Women can vote. Oh, we had property qualifications. I mean, we can see that as a nation, we are becoming better, uh, moving toward those aspirations in the Declaration and the Constitution. So, um, so Bijan's America is the great, is the perfect idea, and um, United States is a work in progress. Brilliant statement. It, it truly is, and you said so much there, Dr. Joe Ellen. But uh, I, I share that view. So I've said this publicly, and I mean it. That so many people, like you and me, that were born in the United States, tend to take it for granted. But the people that have chosen to come here, often at great hardship, they take it seriously, and regretfully, they see that in many ways our government is becoming like that government from which they fled. You know, we are losing our liberties, and we don't seem to care. And and. 
I, I don't know, we've never dis discussed this, but I was a Republican until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act back uh, in late 2001. I could not be a part of this, what I called direct frontal attack on our civil liberties. So I, I and in my research, and you've heard me say this numbers of times before and on our show, that I found, okay, there were 55 delegates to the Constitutional Convention, and they bickered, they fought, they, they debated about almost everything. But the thing that each one, each one of the 55 believed was the most important function of government was protecting our liberties from the encroachment of government. And we've gotten away from that. And uh, I think that if you were people like Bijan who have come here voluntarily, uh, that they take it more seriously and they look much more discouragingly at when we lose our civil liberties. You Jim, I are, I, go ahead. Well, I, was gonna, I, I agree with you. This whole concept of liberty, we are moving away from it. When you hear that a third of our college students today believe that the First Amendment goes too far, that we should ban offensive speech? What is offensive yes. speech? Whatever you say that I don't like, I suppose, is offensive. Um, free speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, the freedom to petition our government, those freedoms in the First Amendment are foundational, and they are under attack. Um, yeah. and, the, and the founders you know, we, we look at this as a revolution, you know, we, we left British rule. It was much more about that, much more than just leaving British rule. We were fighting for freedom. We were afraid of our own governments here, not just the British government. And that concept of liberty, I think, frightens some people because liberty also means responsibility. <laughs> responsibility to work, to take care of yourself, to manage your family. Um, liberty is not simply license, and it's not simply just to do what you want. It implies responsibility, and I think that's one reason some people are afraid of it. I, uh, the United States flag stands for the proposition that you can burn the flag. You know, we have the freedom of speech actually to burn the flag. <laughs> Imagine that that our Constitution stands for the fact that after the Second World War, the Skokie, Illinois case, it went to the United States Supreme Court, and to their credit, they upheld the First Amendment. And if people should know, there were people that were American Nazi Party that were getting a permit and marching in Skokie, Illinois, carrying Nazi flags, carrying their, in their Nazi salutes, and could the police stop them from from doing that? And the answer is no. The Constitution protects speech, even drastic, hideous speech like that, because you can't compare. Like you say, oh, I, I, let's have a safe zone. Let's, let's ban speech that I don't agree with. Where will that take us? That's simply, simply not what the United States stands for, to the degree that, and I don't this is probably only the second time I've said this publicly. When I take the Pledge of Allegiance, I quietly, I don't call attention to myself, but I say, I pledge allegiance to the Constitution of the United States of America. And I think the flag stands for the Constitution, but that's even more basic. So good for you, Joe Ellen. Well, Americans forget because we don't teach history anymore. Um, we teach kids how to demonstrate. We don't teach them about history. But the beginnings of our country, we didn't even have freedom of religion. All 13 colonies had an official religion. Now, a couple of them, such as Pennsylvania and Maryland, were a little more lenient. Um, but in Virginia, for example, you could not 
preach or raise money through a church to help the poor unless you were part of the Church of England. Um, with the Constitution, we got rid of all of that so that people can worship freely or choose not to worship at all, and that taxpayer dollars do not go to support any religion. Um, and, and we also forget that freedom of speech uh, was banned. You know, freedom of press was banned. Uh, Peter Zinger's trial in New York in the early 1700s was evidence of that. Fortunately, he won that case. Uh, but in England, speaking against the monarch could land you in the Tower of London or with yes. a fine. And so th- there's a lot of speech out there that I find repulsive. But if I have the right to speak, so does any other American, and that's the way it should be. Well, you have the right to speak. You do not have the right for people to listen to you. And we can, we should be prudent with regard to what we listen to. And also, on the on the internet today, the social media is a revolution in so many ways. But we have to be much more learn a lot more to be critical of what we're listening to because all kinds of strange stuff is out there. Uh, you have to be careful of what you listen to. But but I can now our audience understands at least a part my introduction of Dr. Joellen Chatham, uh, Thanksgiving indeed. She is the director of the Center for Public Policy, Citizenship, and Ethics. Who better, who better out there, my audience, beloved audience, to talk about public policy, citizenship, and ethics? You've just gotten a taste of Joellen Chatham, but, but she believes it. She is a citizen beyond belief, and I'm proud that she is my friend. So, Again, thank you for this. Now let's go back to that survey, the Woodrow Wilson survey, because it's deeply disturbing to me. Only one state had 50% or more passing, and that was Vermont. And the others, we citizens do not know, in effect, what we are teaching our people that want to become citizens to learn. And and it's just it's just a disaster. We don't take our country seriously enough. We don't have enough appreciation for our background. Our founders, I thought, were brilliant. Uh, they had their problems, without a doubt. But the full name, by the way, Joellen, we haven't quite gotten there, and it came from you and from Bijan. It's the full name of our podcast about Convention of the Birth of America is Becoming America. America is a perfect idea. The United States of America is a work in progress. I think that says what our country is, the, the pulse of our country, unlike anything I've ever heard before. I think it's just downright brilliant. Thank you. Well, I, I, Bijan is the one who came up with that wonderful phrase, but it does, it says so much. And part of becoming America um, has to do not only with civic literacy, but with civility. And this is a problem that we've, we've had from the very beginning, but it's full-blown right now. As citizens, we need to respect each other. We don't need to agree with each other. Um, in fact, disagreement is a very healthy thing. That's how things improve, because people disagree and they find a better way to do things. Uh, but we have to learn to disagree better. It seems today that if you disagree with someone on a political issue, that automatically you have become their enemy. It shouldn't be that way. Politics is something that we should be able to discuss, discuss it vigorously, discuss it with a basis in fact and in history, and make decisions based on that. But today we shout at each other. You know, President Nixon, um, in his inaugural address, said that we cannot learn from one another 
until we stop shouting at each other. He's absolutely right. We're doing a lot of shouting these days um, and not enough one listening. And I've always believed that when you get in a discussion with someone that you disagree with, uh, at the end of the discussion, you may be as confirmed in your beliefs as when you started. That's a good thing. But you may also have learned something new and changed your mind. That's also a good thing. But if we're shouting each other, um, it's not going to happen. Well, it's hard to learn by talking. Uh, you, can, you can sometimes, if you, in fact, I think you would agree, you can learn a great deal by teaching the subject. That's the way you can really learn a great deal. But you, otherwise, yeah. you really cannot learn by talking. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's kind of one of those <laughs> interesting tidbits of, of language that the word silent and the word listen have exactly yes. the same letters in them. And uh, I think there's a lesson in there as well. So we have gotten involved with history, uh, with, our, with regard to our show Becoming America, uh, and we're sitting, all three of us, virtually, at Independence Hall. Uh, Independence Hall, of course, was the old court, what, the old, the old state house in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. It was built in the like 1730s, as I understand it. But uh, tell us, you have convinced me, Joellen, that Independence Hall is, maybe take away the probably, is the most historic place in the United States of America. Uh, do you agree with that? And if so, why? Well, I do. Uh, because, you know, we all have a birthplace. I was born in Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis. I don't know you where you were born, Jim. But the United States of America was born in Independence Hall. I'm going to stop you for a moment. I was born in Columbia Hospital in the District of Columbia. Unfortunately, the the hospital is no longer there, so the plaque, Jimmy Gray was born here, is no longer there. But I was born in (laughs) D.C. Well, uh, I know that uh, Vice President Dan Quayle was born in the same hospital I was. Ah, okay. Six months before I was born in the hospital. I don't know if we had the same doctor. But Independence Hall is truly the birthplace of America. Um, When the Continental Congress met there um, in 1775, even before declaring the Declaration of Independence, uh, George Washington was made commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. And then a year later, the Declaration of Independence was approved in that building, in that hall. And um, de- the uh, independence itself was declared two days before that. Um, so it, and then in 1787, of course, for four months, the Constitutional Convention met there. And that's where they wrote the Constitution and went through all of those incredible discussions. But there's another um, part of the story of Independence Hall that I think is really important. In 1861, as Abraham Lincoln was Mm. traveling from Springfield to Washington, D.C. for his inauguration, and that was a journey of about 1,600 miles, um, he stopped in Philadelphia, and he walked into the East Room where the Declaration of Independence had been approved and the Constitution had been drafted. And he stood there and he said, I would rather be assassinated on the spot then give up the idea of the Declaration of Independence. And four years later, in 1865, in April, he took nearly that same trip from Washington, D.C., back to Springfield. But this time he was in a casket. And his body in that casket lay in state in that room for two days. And about 
300,000 mourner, 300, mourners um, filed past his casket. So th- there's just so much history in this place. And if there's any place that's sacred in America, I think that's it. Boy, I sure agree with that. That, that just brings chills to me. Just just brings chills, Joellen, to think of, of, of that. To just think of Abraham Lincoln saying, I'd rather be assassinated, just, just leave that, uh, is enough. But that is a truly remarkable place. Uh, is it true, was, was Walt Disney correct that Davy Crockett patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell, or is that just a, 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 a song? I, I think that's probably just a song, but I, <laughs> yes, but it's a good oh, song. I, I guess right. Yeah, it's a good song. I, I could sing it for you, but I will, I will refrain. But uh, we did say, in fact, I have sung this twice on All Rise, uh, the finale to convention, and it, it, it bears repeating that, that it's now up to us. As I say, and you say as well, it's our government. If it's not working, it's our fault. We should be more engaged. We should teach. We should talk. Uh, we libertarians have a, a, a tradition. We have debates. We, they're called AMAs, which is ask me anything. It's not scripted. Our president should do that. All of us should be able to do that. We should be able to sit down with each other and discuss anything without calling each other names, without fighting, without taking a front. Uh, and we've gotten away from that. I will quote Thomas Jefferson yet again. He's one of my favorite people. It's amazing. You know, our, our recent presidents, we don't have many quotes other than maybe Ronald Reagan had a few good quotes. But back then, you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Adams, the rest, they said amazing things. But this one's from Thomas Jefferson. Quote, if we are to guard against ignorance and remain free, it is the responsibility of every American to be informed. That's the first thing I thought of, unquote, by the way. That's the first thing I thought of when you came back with that survey, Joellen. And I think that our, I think you're right. I think our musical and becoming America, America is a perfect idea. The United States of America is a work in progress, is going to help materially to do that. So we need to get the word out. It's not being broadcast yet, but you can find it through judgejimgray.com. And you can also, by the way, find any of these shows on uh, All Rise uh, on the voiceamerica.com backslash show backslash the letters or the numbers 3883. So b- slow show backslash 3883 and listen to Joellen Chatham once again or any of the others passed on demand. By the way, you had mentioned that uh, you were involved with the SCE, the uh, electric company, and uh, you were involved with the uh, public affairs. Uh, Gaddy Vasquez was as well. Did you overlap with him? Because he became the uh, director of the Peace Corps, and we had him actually here on All Rise uh, a while ago, about a year ago, but uh, it was really a fun show to do. Did you overlap with Gaddy Vasquez? Uh, I overlapped with Gaddy. I've known Gaddy for many years before um, either of us went to Edison. Um, that Actually, Gaddy went back and forth to Edison several different times. The last time he was there, I actually worked for him, and uh, he's a good friend. Jim, well, uh, I love your Jefferson quote. Let me give you another one. I mean, these guys were so prolific. Jefferson said, a nation that expects to be ignorant and free expects what never was and never will be. It's amazing. Well, we're going to come back from our yeah. break. We'll ponder that one, but but we it is up to us, and we are, in effect, we are the we at this point. So think about these points, and we're going to come back with this wonderful, patriotic, articulate, sophisticated, caring American, Dr. Joellen Chatham, after these messages. Please stay tuned.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit LP.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at LP.org. Together, we can move mountains. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We are Americans You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray here, still with All Rise, and my truly esteemed guest. I don't mean to overdo it, but in this case, I really don't think I can. Dr. Joellen Chatham, really wonderful lady, as you have heard already. But my wife has asked that I incorporate a little what we call intentional silliness at this point of the show. And so uh, I can tell you that I heard a woman recently, Joellen, saying, I think I'm going to stop calling the bathroom in my house the John and instead start calling it the Jim. Because it sounds so much better in the morning when I say, I went to the gym this morning. That's very okay. good. That's very yeah, that's funny, a, that's Jim. A, it's an acquired <laughs> taste. There, there is, as we say, an obligatory chuckle after my, my jokes from my guest, and, and you've satisfied that. So I'm going I'm to go on with, with one more, see if you like this. That If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, I've always kind of taken that seriously. Ooh, I'd. I like that one because I think God does have a sense of humor because <laughs> he made us. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see what kind of sense of humor. How about an advertisement? Glass coffins, will they be popular? Remains to be seen. <laughs> oh, well. That one, that one's oh, boy. A little esoteric. <laughs> reaching, we ought to, we probably ought to get back to something a little more serious. And, and we can't get to anything more serious than, than the Constitutional Convention that it was just an amazing assemblage of, I, I, call, I don't call them founding fathers, I call them the founders, because many people like Abigail Adams were also founders, but it's clear that there were only men as delegates. So it was an amazing assemblage of men, of delegates, to this constitutional convention. And, and part of it was that, yeah, they were landowners, they had time on their hands, not all of them were. Uh, many of them had been to college, which was unusual at the time, several lawyers, but they were familiar with ancient Greece, with ancient Rome, with John Locke, uh, with, with all of these various things. It was just an amazing thing that they were able to get together and come up with what I believe is the most impressive, most important, best document ever written by the hand of man, which of course then eliminates a lot of religious documents. But, but why, in your opinion, Dr. Joe, 
was the Constitutional Convention such a noteworthy historical, even pivotal point in the history of not only the United States, but the history of the world? Because I think it was. Primarily because it had never been done before. You had the republics of Rome, you had the democracies of Greece. They were small and short-lived. Never in the history of the world had a country been founded on an idea. And that idea was liberty, that man is capable of governing himself. That, That was a phenomenally new idea. But how to put it into operation was something else. Because again, what is, you have to define liberty. Liberty is not license. Liberty requires responsibility. So they constructed this constitution in order for man to be able to govern himself. But as James Madison said in The Federalist, if men were angels, we would not need government. But, and that's one of your songs, Jim. If men were angels, government would not be required. The problem you know, that, is we're not that angels. Does sound, that does sound familiar. You're right. But, and he's oh, exactly yes. that's, what he that's said. What, it's, it's one of my favorite songs in a musical. <laughs> but, but he's right, because man is not perfect. You know, we're, we're all infallible. We all do things that are bad and that we're ashamed of. Um, so in government, with, with people, you do need government. The problem is government is composed of people who are infallible, just like the rest of us. So you need not only to have government control people's behavior to some extent, but you have to have a way to control government, which is made up with people. And I think that's the dilemma that they faced. And they came up with a brilliant solution. And it wasn't totally theirs. It came from the ideas of Locke and Montesquieu and, and again, the ancient Greek and Roman philosophers. But they came up with a concept of separation of powers, the concept of checks and balances so that one part of government could not um, overwhelm with power the other forms of the other branches of government. Um, the Electoral College. They came up with such a way to keep government in control as government then exercised control, so to speak, you know, over people's behavior. And at the end of all of it, the end of the day, who was the sovereign? The sovereign was we the people, because we choose those who govern us, and if we don't like them, we can change them at the next election. So it was, a bri- it was a brilliant system, and no one had ever tried it before. The other countries of Europe were looking at us, thinking this is going to fall apart, this is not going to work, and they were almost right. It almost did fall apart, because right after the revolution, for about 11 years, we lived under the Articles of Confederation, which was more of an alliance of friendship. It wasn't a government and it was falling apart. The countries of Europe were afraid to make treaties with us because they didn't know who the treaty was going to be with. Was it going to be with Virginia or the United States? Um, there was so much uncertainty, and there was uncertainty internally. There were veterans who had not been paid. After many years, they had been promised pay and land. Uh, they were being foreclosed on because they couldn't pay their mortgages. So there was a rebellion in Massachusetts called Shays Rebellion, where Hundreds of farmers, former veterans, wanted to um, really prevent the courts from operating. Things were falling apart. And that's when, in the fall of 1786, there was 
um, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and another group of men who had met at a conference in Annapolis. And it didn't work because they didn't even have a quorum. So they said, we need to have a general convention. And they applied to the Continental Congress, the Confederation Congress of the Articles of Confederation. And as a result, the Constitutional Convention was held in May through September of 1787. And they created this incredible document that did those things that I referred to earlier. It's it's, it's one of the greatest events in all of history. It was just an amazing thing. And they they were so bright that they prescribed that they would not have government be a part of religion or religion be a part of government. However, they were all very religious people. Certainly Ben Franklin led the delegates in prayer uh, down on their knees, but but they had the foresight. Actually, uh, Jim, he he didn't lead them in prayer. Um, What he did in mid-July, late June, I'm sorry, late June, uh, the convention almost broke up. There was continual disagreement and bickering and so on. And Ben Franklin came in to the session that day with a prepared statement. And in it, he said he had noticed how things weren't going well and that throughout his long life, he was the oldest man there. I think he was 81, 83, and said through his long life, he had learned that God does intervene in the affairs of men. And he said when we were considering independence in this same room, in 1776, that they had begun their daily sessions with prayer. And he suggested it would be a good idea for them to start doing it now. But they didn't do it. Um, For number one, they said they didn't have any resources to pay a clergyman to come in. Secondly, in the middle, they'd been meeting for over a month. And all of a sudden, if a clergyman started showing up at Independence Hall, was that a sign to the public that they were in trouble? And now we're finally relying on God's help. Um, And with respect to him, they just let the issue die. But there's a lot of people who say that right after that, even though they did not begin their sessions with prayer, just the idea of calming people letting them realize the gravity of what they were doing and that God does intervene in the affairs of men, uh, respectfully, they let, let the issue die. In, indeed. And, and Joellen, again, you, you're so schooled in this, and I, I'm sitting at your feet taking notes. It's just, it's wonderful to do this. All three of us have our contributions, and our audience and stuff, too, has contributions. These, this is who we are. This is, this is our background. This is, runs through our veins. And, of course, liberty, the free enterprise system, went back to our founding well before that, to Plymouth Rock. Uh, you know, we, we, it is in our veins, and to the degree that we're not teaching it, we don't know it as citizens. We're not teaching it to our children. So many of our children feel that, oh, socialism is the way to go. I personally believe socialism is wonderful. It's wonderful as long as it's voluntary. I mean, that's what the family unit is. It's socialism. But to require it simply not only is, is wrong, but it doesn't work. I mean, just ask the country of Venezuela if you need, you need to get into this. But we need to get back to our roots. And I think that you, in your public policy, citizenship, I mean, yes, 
if we are citizens, we have obligations. It brings responsibilities to each of us. And one of those is if you see someone who is being taken advantage of and that person cannot protect, defend him or herself, it's up to us to stand up and provide that protection and defense. And uh, certainly ethics, uh, that we, I talk about that all the time with regard to young attorneys, that if you lose your ethics, you lose your, your integrity, uh, you're not going to be any good to yourself or to your, your, uh, your uh, clients. So we need to get back to this. And you were doing this in Concordia. You have taught a course, as I understand it, on the courts and the Constitution as an adjunct professor. Uh, but again, let's go a little bit more about the Constitution because they were philosophical. But like you said, they also had enormously practical things to discuss and to address. And that Shays Rebellion cannot be understated, that they were deeply afraid that there could have yet another revolution uh, by the same revolutionary fighters that that were patriots and, and fought it the first time. So these were serious things. They had Indian uprisings. They had the French, the, the Spanish, certainly the English liter, lingering out there trying maybe to reconquer. So they had these various things. What brought, what was the cohesiveness that brought them together? And my view is Ben Franklin and George Washington. Agreed? Yes. Um, they they knew if they were to well first of all there was almost unanimous agreement that something ha had to be done. Um, what that something was was a source of disagreement. Everyone believed that they needed a more energetic national government. But how do you define energetic? How much? How many rights were the states willing to give up to a national government? These were not. Not easy answers. And then if people didn't show up at the Annapolis conference, why would they show up at a conference in Philadelphia? It was very important that George Washington be there. Uh, one of his closest friends and wartime generals, General Knox, and James Madison really prevailed upon Washington. They said, you've got to be there. He really didn't want to go for two primary reasons. One, he didn't think it was going to work. And secondly, George Washington, who was an incredibly great man, was also very protective of his own reputation. And I don't blame him. We should all be protective of our reputations. But he was regarded by some people as, uh, well, there were some, you know, during the Revolutionary period who even thought maybe he ought to be king. That idea was kind of swept away quickly, firstly by him. But he thought, if, if I chair this event and it falls apart, it's going to look bad for me. So he didn't want to go. But they finally prevailed on him to do so. And then, of course, they did elect him president of the convention. And then Benjamin Franklin had come back not too many years before that from uh, Paris. He had lived in England and Paris for many years, representing the colonies. He was one of the most beloved and respected men, not only in the United States, but in Europe. He was a serious scientist that went far beyond the kite experiment. He was also a tremendous diplomat. Wonderful story, by the way, about him representing us before the parliament. If you want to hear that story, I'll tell it. But those two men, just their presence gave the stamp of approval, gave legitimacy to the convention. Without them, it might not have happened.
Well, I think that's right. Of course, James Madison was kind of behind the scenes uh, organizing it all. But sure, how could I how could I say no? But Benjamin Franklin was quite flamboyant, as I understand the garb he would wear. And he'd be carried in a sedan chair every morning. Of course, he was 81. But uh, sure, tell us about how he represented us in Parliament uh, as our ambassador, basically our ambassador, Benjamin Franklin. Well, interestingly enough, um, from our founding, from you know Jamestown in 1607 and and Plymouth in 1620, for about the first 150 years of our existence, Britain didn't pay a lot of attention to us. A lot of colonists came over here for land or you know, for, for whatever reason to explore. Um, it wasn't until about the 1750s that Britain started interfering with us, or they would send over their colonial government. But after the Seven Years' War, uh, and in the United States it was called the French and Indian War, uh, the British government said, you know, those colonists ought to help with the bill for this war that we've been fighting on their behalf against the French in North America. So they began to impose taxes and restrictions. And in 1765, they imposed what was called the Stamp Act. And this was, um, it was a, a tax on paper, playing cards, all kinds of goods. And the colonists didn't like it. And we said, no, 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 this is going too far. And there were literally riots in the street. Um, the house of the Massachusetts governor was burned. People were hung in effigy. Um, before that, of course, we'd had the Boston Tea Party because of all the business with it, or I guess it was shortly after that, all the business of the tax on the tea. So Parliament could not understand why the colonists were so upset over this stamp act. They had taxes before, so why were they so upset about this? Benjamin Franklin was the agent for Pennsylvania and several other colonies, and he was living in England at the time and was very well respected. So Parliament called him before the Parliament, and they wanted to know, they wanted his opinion of why America had this such a visceral reaction against the Stamp Act. They questioned him for about an hour. And if your listeners go online, they can read the question and answers. It's fascinating material. And he explained to them why we were so upset. And he said, basically, our rights of Englishmen are being denied. Remember, we weren't Americans. We were British. And as he began to explain why we were so upset we, that our rights as Englishmen were being denied, they said, well, where, where do you get this? What is your source? And he said, there are two sources. One is Magna Carta that goes back to 1215. That's the history of British liberty. We're British. That's our history. But he also said the other, the charters that founded these colonies. The first charter, which was the Virginia charter that established Jamestown, Jim, it said in that charter that these colonists, if they established a colony in America, whether or not they ever returned to England, they and their posterity would be Englishmen with all the rights due to Englishmen. And he said, those are our rights, and we're not represented in Parliament. We do not have the rights of other Englishmen. Edmund Burke, the great uh, philosopher, was in the Parliament, and he said that exchange between Franklin and the members of Parliament and who was in Parliament? It was Grenville and Townsend and all those guys. 
He said it was like watching the schoolboys question the schoolmaster. It was a brilliant tour de force with um, tour de force with with Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> and I, and I, and I'll close with this on that story. There was a member of the British Parliament um, by the name of William Pitt. He was the Earl of Chatham, not related to me. I wish he was, but he had gotten England through the Seven Years' War as Prime Minister. He was older and retired, and he was still in Parliament. And he and his son, who also became Prime Minister of England, they both took the side of Americans regarding the Stamp Act. And Lord Chatham stood up in Parliament and opposed the Stamp Act, said you should repeal it, which they eventually did. And he said to his parliamentarians, remember, the Americans are the children, not the bastards of England. What a Uh, great line. Yeah. Well, I know that we had the line here, the call out to taxation without representation. Uh, I'm here to say, actually... Well, and Chatham, that taxation with representation isn't always that wonderful either. But, but that is a truly, truly a great story. And and Benjamin Franklin really was quite a fellow. Uh, but uh, let's let's go on to say that in convention, the birth of America, as well as uh, where we go with becoming America, our podcast, we also hold the delegates accountable. You know, we have one song that's called What About Me, where we actually have the delegates coming out and they're puffing and no oh, freedom is what we cry for and, and government justice where we go. And then they're held accountable. Well, the you have a slave. Well, what about me? You know, you're building all of this on my backs. How can you be free if I'm not? And then the women as well say, well, you know, this is, this is wonderful, but why should I rejoice? You know, I can't, I can't vote. I can't go to school. I can't travel as I will. And then you have the Native Americans, of course, who say, well, we welcomed you into our forest and this is the thanks that comes and you kill everything. You're soiling your destiny. And then finally, we have the working class and they hold them account. And this was actually used at the time of the Constitutional Convention. They called them well-bred, well-fed, well-read, well-wed. Okay, and that's that's a direct quote. I wish I could say I quote I wrote that, but I did not. Well bred, well fed, well read, well wed. Why you always meet in secrecy? Well, I sweat, I fret, I'm in debt, and I get not the slightest taste of decency. You know, you own all the land, you can vote, we can't. So we do hold people accountable, and we bring it up to date. So I, I'm really proud of convention. I'm proud that, that uh, <laughs> Joellen, you and Bijan have latched on to it. And I'm proud to be your partner with regard to our show, Becoming America. America is a perfect idea. The United States of America is a work in progress. So what were the issues that were being debated, Joellen, at, at the convention? You know, large states, small states, uh, we get into uh, how many, I mean, we, we understand now three branches of government. I wonder if that was on the, the Woodrow Wilson question. How many people today really can name the three branches of government? Uh, was that a part of the question? And, and uh, if so, it's up to us. And I'm, I'm going on longer than I should, but I'm, I'm going to go back and quote George Washington again, too, because he really is and was a hero. I think he's the supreme patriot of our country. And he said, quote, truth will ultimately ultimately prevail where there is pains taken to bring it to light, unquote. Truth will ultimately prevail where there is pains taken to bring it to light. We can't bring the truth to light unless we educate ourselves, unless we participate, because it is our government. We now are we the people. So what were the issues at the time? I'll get off my tirade, but I I believe it so strongly. But what were the issues that they were debating? Where did this 
three branches of government come from? Why not have a a a council to be president instead of one just one person? You know, this was well, all, they these, about all things that. were there, new. There were some members of the convention who did uh, promote. Uh, the idea of a, of a council with the president or a plural executive. One of the problems with the executive is that the colonial legislatures were, were basically elected by the people, and the governors were normally chosen by the King of England. So there was a real reaction against a strong executive because the executives of the colonies, they could dissolve the assembly. Um, they argued off and on about the executive during the convention, and it really wasn't till near the very end when they were putting the final drafts together that they um, they came up with the role of executive as it is today. But they, do, they actually voted several times as to whether or not we should have a plural executive, should we have a council of revision. Then who's going to elect the president? There were some people who thought the president ought to be chosen by the state legislatures. There were some who thought the president ought to be chosen by the chief executives of the states. Um, early on, an electoral college was proposed, but it's kind of ignored. Um, and eventually, at the end, they accepted the electoral college for the sole reason they wanted the electoral college to be independent of the legislature. If the state legislatures were to elect the president, then he would be accountable to them. If the national legislature were to elect the president, he would be accountable to them. So the Electoral College, which is convened every four years for one purpose, and then they dissolve, and the next four years it's a different group of people, kept the president uh, very independent. That was an extremely important issue. Uh, another major and probably the most important issue was the role of the national government versus the states. The states didn't want to give up authority. And frankly, you can't blame them. So the question was how much to give up to the national government. Um, in fact, they argued for a number of weeks over this before they finally came up with what was called the Great Compromise, where they said, okay, we'll have two houses of the legislature. One will be based on the population of each state, so a big state like Pennsylvania would get more representatives and a small state like Delaware would get fewer. That's in the House. And in the Senate, the states would be represented equally. And that was a compromise um, between the large and small states, and it was not easily arrived at. But then some people looked at the Senate and they said, that's going to be a bunch of aristocrats. It's no different than the House of Lords in England. We want that. So sure. I would say those were the, the two the two biggest issues. Another issue that came up frequently, though, was a standing army. Um, they realized and looked at philosophers throughout history who said standing armies are the seed of tyranny. Because if you've got power and you control the army, you control everything. So they so, argued at length about a standing army. They certainly did. Uh, well, there were yeah. many of these, Joellen, and, and our, our time is about up, but I know that we, they did not want to have a tyrannical government. They didn't want to have a George III. They didn't want to have the House of Lords. They, they did not want to have representative. Those fights are still going on today. And 
and we need to get back to them. I know that you agree with me that we are still becoming America, that we are a better country today than we were last year or 10 years ago, and we will be a better country next year or 10 years from now. So I believe, and I, I believe you agree with me, Joe Ellen, that the future of the United States uh, is bright. We should be and still are the beacon on the hill or the guiding light to the world. Let's bring our civility back. Let's bring our discussions back. But thank you, Joe Ellen Chatham, for sharing your insights, your knowledge with us all here on All Rise. And this will conclude us, but it never should be concluded. Let's continue to educate ourselves and be able to discuss these things openly just like we do here on All Rise. So join us again next week. We're almost at the end. The last broadcast will be on December 17, but you'll always be able to hear them on demand uh, on the Voice America Network, 383. So at any rate, this is Judge Jim Gray thanking our guest once again and saying, as I always do when we sign off, life is good. Why do I say that? Because it truly is. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my ball.